Good morning. <laughs> uh, for those of you who don't know me, um, I am Nate, and I get the joy and privilege of being the lead pastor here at Radiant Bible Church. And uh, I, yeah. and I had with my family the joy of being away for eight weeks on a sabbatical, but now we are back. And uh, yeah. And it is so good to be here this morning. Um, Amy and I, as we've been talking with you all and trying to process the last eight weeks for us, you know, a question we get is, you know, how'd it go? And we're like, I, I, I don't even know how to answer that. So the, the best thing that we came up with to talk with you about this morning was this. If whoever else on our staff in the future gets the joy of going on a sabbatical, our hope and our prayer for them would be it was as good as the last eight weeks have been for us. Like, it has been incredible. And uh, I talked with you all about that a little bit before we left, and we had really some simple goals. I wanted to spend some concentrated time with Amy and the kids. We got to do that, so much of that. I wanted to spend sweet time with Jesus. Got to do that. In fact, he changed completely what that looked like. I had taken a, I had planned a stack of books all on the Trinity. And I was gonna, and I was gonna read them on sabbatical. I read two of the small ones. <laughs> and then I spent a lot of time just in the word with him, just enjoying friendship with him. And it was Sweet, And then we wanted to rest, and we got to do that, and we're grateful. We're grateful first and foremost to the Lord for this time. We are grateful to you for allowing us the time. Um, we're grateful for our leadership, for prioritizing this, seeing the importance of it, and even this year, pushing us to do it, and we're just grateful. So very grateful, um, but I'm glad to be back. In fact, about, about halfway through sabbatical, halfway three quarters of the way, we're in the car one day and we're driving and it's our whole family and we're in there. And at one point I turn and I look and Amy is just laughing and the kids are in the backseat laughing. And I'm like, what's going on? What'd I miss? And they're like, well, dad, um, for like the last 20 minutes, you've been going on and on about your quiet time with Jesus this morning. So we think it's time that you go back and preach. <laughs> so, so I have missed this. I've missed opening up the word of God with you, but I am grateful, so beyond grateful that God has given us the pastors here that he's given us who stepped in and opened up God's word with you and, and our guest speakers, Brock and Joe, that came in who are incredible, who love this place and are faithful men of God. I'm glad you got to spend time with them too over the last uh, eight weeks or so. So thank you. So let's jump in to what I've been looking forward to do. Psalm 131 in your Bibles. Psalm 131. Uh, hopefully you remembered the challenge and you tried to memorize at least Psalm 131. If not, you can still today, it's three verses. You can have it done by dinner. 
right? Hopefully you did that. And I know a lot of you did because I heard from you um, different people that are part of this faith family across ages, across different stages of life. We're committing God's word to memory, okay? We want to continually commit God's word to memory here at Radiant, okay? Memorizing God's word doesn't guarantee that you'll be changed by it, okay? It's not a magic formula, but you definitely will not be changed by God's word if you don't know it at all. And so we want to commit his word to memory. And one family in our church, the Beards, wanted us to know who had memorized Psalm 131, and I wanted you guys to see it this morning, so check this out. All right, go. Oh, and my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not argue for myself of things too great and too marvelous for me. I, but I have come to poverty, crying in myself like a green child with a trouble, like a green child in my soul within me. Always real, open the world from this high and forevermore, a song of a song. That, that is ridiculous. Like I've watched it like 12 times and it doesn't get less cute every single time. Like it's just even the tone, I've calmed and quieted my soul. Like, and, and Micah, Micah, his brother, he's like, I don't know what you're doing, bro, but somebody needs to get this sun out of my eyes. <laughs> but I just thought, how sweet, right? Stephen, Valerie, yes. More of that, more of that here in our midst, raising up our children in the way that they should go, committing God's word to memory. All right, Psalm 131. As I was uh, thinking about this psalm this week, I just, I couldn't help but reflect on the fact that um, we live in a, we live in a noisy world, don't we? Like we are constantly bombarded by so much, right? Whether it's social media or the news or another war or the economy or workplaces or entertainment or Rockville Road. Like, I came, we came back and I'm like, I don't know which lane to drive in. I don't know what those cones mean. I'm just going to pick a space. And then I saw a Chick-fil-A has risen from the earth. I don't even even know how that happened. But, But it is so noisy externally, constantly. But see, the problem that this psalm is going to talk about is not just that the world is noisy. The problem is that there's also noise in us. We have noisy souls. And we, we can't control the noise of this world, but this psalm tells us that we can do something about the noise of our souls. And more vacations, more naps, more sabbaticals, although really good, aren't the answer. Like they can, they can help for a time, why? Because they, they remove external noise for a moment so that it can allow us to hear the internal noise that needs, that needs dealt with, but it's temporary. Uh, in the midst of sabbatical, at one point, Amy and I are like, I think we need to remind ourselves and we need to remind the kids, this is not real life. 
right? This is what God's called us to for eight weeks, but now we go back to what he's called us to typically. And we, we have to learn to deal with the internal noise in the midst of the external noise that God has sovereignly placed this in. And the thing is, sometimes, sometimes, we even like the external noise, don't we? Like we invite it, we even create it so that we don't have to hear our internal noise. We don't have to hear the, the worry and the fear and the, the restlessness and the bitterness and the pride and the anger and the discontentment in our souls. Psalm 131 describes the satisfied non-anxious presence of someone who is humbly trusting the Lord for everything, satisfied in him, All right? Two characteristics of a soul satisfied, two characteristics of a satisfied person. The first one is this, humility, humility. Look down at verse one in this chapter. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord. My heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I don't occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. This first verse is a, it's a descriptive portrayal of pride, arrogance, uh, self-sufficiency, and even sinful ambition, okay? Look at it there again closely. My heart is not lifted up. Your translation might say it's not proud. My eyes are not raised too high. Your translation might say not haughty. I don't occupy myself. I don't concern myself with things too great or too marvelous for me, things that might be beyond my control or my understanding. This is the Bible's way of saying, stay in your lane, bro, right? This is pride that this is talking about. Let's talk about pride here for a minute. You're like, ooh, good. Glad you're back, Nate. <laughs> we have to talk about pride. James 4, 6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And there are, there are a lot of different manifestations that we might see of pride in our lives. And is what we have to do, we have to, we have to pick. We have to dig down below the surface to really get to the root, which is typically pride in our lives. So here's some descriptions of a proud person. Proud people... Um, we think, notice I say we think, <laughs> we think that we know what's best. Most of the time, all of the time. And so what do we do? We tend to meddle in things that maybe we have no business messing with. And we think, we think the best place for everything is in our capable hands, or at least simply critiqued here quietly in our capable minds. Proud people, we, we then look for ways to keep the focus on us, both overtly and aggressively sometimes, and sometimes in more subtle, kind of passive aggressive ways. And if you're thinking about someone in your life right now, stop it. Typically the best place for your mind to be when 
analyzing and looking for pride is right here. Pride results in an overestimation of my abilities, my opinions, my perspectives, and even my place. One of the things I got to do on sabbatical was awesome. I got to play golf with Corbin, my son. And uh, he's just learning how to play golf. I'm relearning how to play golf after about 20 years of not doing it, which I think is more difficult. And I only broke one club, not intentionally. <laughs> not, not intentionally. But it would have been odd the first time that we went out to play nine holes together if he would have stepped up to that first tee and he would have been like, Dad, I think it's about an eight mile an hour wind out of the east. And so is what I think I'm gonna do on this par five is I think I'm gonna play a slight fade with about 70% of my driver. I'm hopefully gonna carry that fairway bunker. It's gonna set me up for the green in two so I can have an eagle opportunity on this. I'd have been like, no, no, we're not. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go to this goat ranch of a golf course and we're gonna go out here and for the whole day, we're just gonna try to hit the ball every single time so we don't make fools of ourselves. That's a right estimation of our ability. That's doing what we should do with what's been placed in front of us with the gifts and abilities we currently have, right? And it's a silly example, but we do this constantly in our life. In fact, our world tries to tune us to think more highly of ourselves than we should, right? And inside of each of us, there's always just this little thing, whether we're willing to verbalize it or not, that says, you know, if I was in charge of the world for a day, I think we would do pretty well, right? And ultimately is what it reveals is that pride is a manifestation of our greatest temptation as human beings. And our greatest temptation as human beings is what it has been since the beginning of time. That temptation is to be God, to try to be, or at least to want to be him. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 28 says this, your heart is proud and you have said, I'm a God and I sit in the seat of gods, in the heart of the seas. And yet you're but a man, you are no God though you make your heart like the heart of a God. The NIV says, though you think you are as wise as God. The psalmist here in this opening part of this is saying, not this. It's like a, a resolve statement that he's got here where he's humbling himself before the Lord and saying, my heart is not lifted up. I'll not raise my eyes too high. I will not occupy myself with things too great or too marvelous for me. And this, this opening part of this passage is what it does. It associates pride with the noise in our souls. Pride is a, a loudspeaker that just pumps noise into our hearts when instead a truly satisfied soul is one that's humble. Like what, what do you mean by humility? Now here's what I mean biblically by humility. Humility is an, it's an honest or a right assessment of myself in light of who God is, in light of who I am in Christ, 
and in light of others who are made in his image. Okay, let me say that again. Humility is an honest, it's a right assessment of myself in light of who God is, who I am in Christ, and who others are who are made in his image. Where do I get that biblically? Romans chapter 12 says this. I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but instead to think with sober judgment. Sober judgment and honest evaluation of ourselves. In John chapter one, we're gonna be there in a few weeks because we're gonna start a series in the gospel of John. This first part of John, John the Baptist is there. And the Pharisees and the scribes and all these religious leaders, they send word to him and they say, who are you? Okay, and John the Baptist repeats back to them five profound words. He says, I am not the Christ. Like we have to remember that, right? Those words are so important to us. He says, listen, in case you were thinking I was somebody else, nope, I'm not. He's coming. He is so much better. And in case I was tempted to think because of all the ministry success that I've had as John the Baptist, that I was the Christ, this is my verbal reminder. I am not him. We are not him. We have purpose from him. We have purpose for him. I'm somebody in him. So that takes self-deprecation off the table because I am somebody in union with Jesus Christ. I'm a child of his. I'm his follower. I'm made in his image, but I am not him. And thinking about ourselves wrongly in, in relation to God, what it's gonna do, it's gonna result in, in acting and in thinking as if we are him. And we ain't. And so what's gonna happen is we're gonna be frustrated. We're gonna be noisy, trying to be and do what we were never intended to be and do. Philippians chapter two, a couple months ago, we were there. Said, consider others more significant than myself. Thinking about ourselves wrongly in relation to others, not seeing their, their value, their worth, their necessity, the fact that they've been made in the image of God, it will leave us noisy in our souls, always jockeying for position and recognition and affirmation. And the psalmist leads us here into a humble resolve and says, not me, I will not. What's he do instead? Look at verse two there. He says, but, or rather, I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, in, the, in Davis's voice, like a weaned child with a mother. Is my soul within me? David chooses instead to quiet his soul. He goes after the root of where the noise is, is coming from. Two things to look at here in verse two. 
that are really important. First, it says, but I, I have calmed and quieted. That means that there's, there's something that we can do, right? There's, there's effort that can be expended towards this on my behalf by, by me. And, and more on that in a second, but it says, look at this thing too. I have calmed and quieted what? My soul, my soul. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, I have calmed and quieted my kids. <laughs> it doesn't say, I've calmed and quieted my spouse. It doesn't say, I've calmed and quieted the bank or American politics or the media or Twitter threads. Mark, Elon, speaking of noise. It doesn't say any of that. It says, I have calmed and quieted my soul. That's where my responsibility rests. Like what? Like a weaned child. You ever, you ever heard a, a non-weaned child? Is non-weaned a word? Unweaned? <laughs> I've had a few of them. <laughs> they scream. It's their way of saying, I want, listen to me, mom. I need something for you and I want it now. A wean child, on the other hand, is content. Content just to be in the presence of mom. Intrinsically knowing there's nothing to worry about. Calm, satisfied, just being near her, comforted, safe, soothed by the sound of her beating heart in their ear, trusting that mom's got them, that mom will supply all of their needs. This is the picture of a soul satisfied in the presence of the Lord, satisfied with his person, not just his gifts. Uh, last week, I think you were in Psalm 16, Psalm 1611, in his presence, there's fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. So how? How do we calm our noisy souls? First, we have to repent of pride. It's sin. And it's an affront to God and pride will be ever an obstacle in our relationship with him. It makes us noisy and it attempts to elevate myself to your rightful place, Lord, forgive me. But don't just, it's not just me asking, saying, oh, I'm sorry, Lord, it's me repenting. And repentance has this idea, I have, I'm turning away from it and rather I'm turning to what is right. So I choose, Lord, in this moment to turn away from my pride and instead turn towards humility and trust in you as the rightful king in control of this. So the first thing for us to do is repent of pride. The second thing is this. We're to be faithful in the things that God has actually given us to do. Right? I, I don't concern myself with things that are above my pay grade. Right? Instead, I 
give myself to those things God has called me to, and then I trust him with everyone and everything else. Uh, John chapter 21, I've mentioned this passage before because it's one of my favorites. We'll get there like in the spring. In John chapter 21, there's this sweet moment where Peter's with Jesus and they're having this conversation. And at one point, Peter turns and he points over at the apostle John is who we think it was. And he's like, well, what about this guy? What plans do you have for him? And I love it. Jesus is like, what do you care? Like, that's not your business. <laughs> Here's your lane. You, follow me, right? I was thinking about this even as a pastor. I mean, we've been called to be under shepherds of the Lord by serving his church, okay, in this role. And where we get inside out and upside down is where that becomes our identity. And we forget that first and foremost, above everything else, we too are followers of Jesus Christ. And so that, that is, and in that account with Peter, I love that because he's like, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. He's trying to tell him that. He's saying, you follow me, love me above all else. And then you'll actually be able to love and to feed my sheep. I wanna share uh, something with you that's been helpful for me. We use it a lot in, in counseling and it helps us think through this whole thing. So start maybe with a piece of paper. I know that's ancient. Okay, piece of paper and a pen or a pencil and draw, draw a big circle on that paper. And then inside of it, draw this other, this other little, little circle. And then here's what you're gonna do. Off to the right, you're gonna write like the top 20 things in your life that concern you, that occupy your mind, that you think are making your soul noisy for good or not good reasons, whether that's family concerns or finances or work or whatever. You're, you're making a list of all of those things that bubble up, okay? And then here's what you're gonna do, this next slide. You're gonna take, and you're gonna find everything on that list that is your responsibility that God has given only to you, that you're meant to walk faithfully in and you're meant to do and obey with and do for his glory in this life. And you're gonna start writing all of those things into this small circle, okay? Then this next slide, here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna take everything else that's left and you're gonna write it into that outer circle. This is all those things that concern you in this life, that you worry about, that you think about, that make you potentially noisy in your soul. But God has said, I'm not giving that to you. That's mine or, or that's someone else's and not yours. These are the things in your life that you have to say, they're yours, Lord. And I'm gonna choose to trust you with them. You see, when we get noisy in our souls is when we're hanging out in this circle of responsibility and then when we start crossing over that line and we take our grubby little mitts and we grab onto things that are in that outer circle and we try to drag them down into our circle of responsibility. And we say, Lord, I know you haven't given it to me I know this is yours, but I want to control it. 
I want to have a say in this. And it results in this inner turmoil and noise where our pride is seeking to do and to be what it was never intended to do and be. I remember when this hit me and was so helpful to me was years ago when our kids were really small. And uh, one of my big concern areas was the salvation of my children. And as I looked at it, I'm like, and thought about it and prayed about it, I'm like, okay, what's my responsibility? Well, I'm supposed to love my kids. That's been given to me. I'm supposed to teach my kids the gospel. That's, that's my responsibility. I'm supposed to teach them the word of God. I'm supposed to model for them what it means to be a good father so that hopefully they might see a glimpse of our father in heaven through my life. I'm meant to do that. And then I had one thing left over that I took and I had to write in that outer circle and it was save my children. It was this moment where I came to grips with the fact like I can't do that. That's all his I have these responsibilities that he's given me that I want to be faithful to, that I need his help to do, but I, I can't save them. And I realized how often I'd been trying to get across that line and grab hold of what was only God's and drag it back down into my areas of responsibility. And as what it resulted in was manipulation and pressure on them and frustration in my own heart. And it was so good to get to a point where I was like, no, I have to trust you with this, Lord. This is better in your hands than mine. And yet, seek to be faithful to what you've given me to. Okay? So maybe, maybe that's helpful for you to do that exercise just yourself, maybe with your small group, maybe with your kids, whatever. But repent of pride. Be faithful in the things he's actually given us to do. And the third way that we calm our noisy souls, is we hope. We hope. And that takes us into the second characteristic of a satisfied person. It's this, it's hope. Look at the passage here again. I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. There is hope. Hope in what? What's the substance of this hope that David has in this psalm? Well, look at it. Hope in the Lord. And it's interesting here. He writes, this is hope in, in the Hebrew, Yahweh. He writes the name of the Lord. And so we know exactly what David is thinking about when he says hope in the Lord. In fact, you don't have to turn there. I will. Exodus 34, I think, tells us exactly what David is thinking about when he says this. Exodus 34, if you remember it. If not, it's okay. I'm going to read it. <laughs> we find Moses on the top of the mountain for the second time. He's got new tablets since he broke the old ones. And he's coming up there and is what's gonna happen is, is the Lord is gonna come down and meet him. And what the Lord is gonna choose to do, he's gonna reveal himself to Moses. 
He's gonna reveal his name to him again and exactly what that name means about him. And here's what it says. The Lord descended in the cloud and he stood with Moses there and he proclaimed the name Yahweh. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands of generations, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. He comes down and he says, this is my name, and this is what it means. And so when, when, when David writes, hope in Yahweh, by proclaiming the name of the Lord, he's telling you exactly where his hope lies. His hope lies first and foremost in the character of God. His hope lies in the fact that we serve a God who is merciful and gracious and good and who is loving and who is just and who is long-suffering. Our hope is rooted in that. And we, we connect our hope to the Lord and his character and we also, we also connect our hope to his specific promises. This hope, it's not some cheap optimism that you see or hear over the radio waves or see plastered all over the social media walls. Like, things will all work out. Just keep going. It'll all turn around in your life. Just hang in there. Health, wealth, and success, it's all yours if you just believe. It's baloney. And it's not rooted in any of the promises. Like we can't, we don't, we don't rest our hope on trivialities. We rest our hope on who God is and his specific promises and where his specific promises, they're given for us right here so that we can cling to them. And the nearest promise that we see to Psalm 131 here is back in Psalm 130. Look back to the end of Psalm 130 right before this. David uses the exact same phrase to connect this hope to a promise. He says in verse seven, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all of his iniquities. What was Israel's ultimate question, ultimate hope that they had yet to see realized at this point? What were they waiting for? the Messiah, they were waiting for the coming king who would work for them redemption. We don't wait any longer. He has come in the flesh and dealt decisively with our sins and enabled us to be in relationship with him by grace through faith. And now he makes us increasingly like him day by day and he works all things together for our good, for our sanctification, for his glory. And he loves us and he's coming again when he will ultimately redeem all creation. That's hope. That has the power to quiet and calm our noisy souls. 
the noise of our soul can be quieted. We can live with a non-anxious presence. How? By resting in the finished work of Jesus. By faithfully choosing to walk in obedience to what he has given us in this life while leaving everything else in his sovereign, good, wise, loving, just hands. Maybe you're here today and you're like, Nate, I don't have that hope. There's noise. You're talking about the hope of knowing the God of the universe and Jesus Christ and redemption. I'll have that. Today, you can. Today, if you will place your trust in him and turn from your sins, he promises that he will save you and you will get the joy eternally. Eternity starts now in relationship with Jesus. You will get the joy of entering into relationship with him and what it looks like to be reconciled and now to be friends with the God of the universe. Listen to me, listen to me. If no one else does in this world, he loves you. He loves you. How do I know that, Nate? He sent his son to take your place and to offer you a free gift of salvation and redemption in all of eternity. Would you do that today? Christian, who's here, what proud noise is blaring in your soul right now like an 80s hairband? What complaint, what fear, what comparison, what lie, what critique is occupying space in you where humility and hope and peace should be living? What is it? Let's do this right now, just quietly before the Lord. Let's walk through this. Lord, help us right now, each of us in this room, to see the root of that noise in us right now. Lord, just bubble it up, bubble it up right there in each of these people by the power of your spirit as you are among us and in us. What is that thing? What is that noise? What is that worry and fear and thing or person that is, that I wish I could control? With me right now, with me right now, Lord, I see it, I see it. Forgive me. Forgive me. I want to control, but you haven't given me that control, Lord. Forgive me for trying to be you in this. Help me to do what you've called me to do, and please, Lord Jesus, help me to trust you with this. 
quiet this noise in me, Lord. And help me to be satisfied in you. My hope is in you, Lord. My hope is in you. Lord, we resolve this morning together our hope, Lord, is in you for now and forevermore.